This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. This is the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. We were broadcasting live from the Dubai GT Free Tennis Championship and in conversation with a tennis coach, Davide, explaining how important it is for children to enjoy that training. And is it ever too late to pick up a racket? We were talking about some of the paperwork and processes around what happens when someone passes away here in the UAE. That was with the head of department at James Berry for wills and inheritance. Plus, all things anger. When do those day-to-day irritations tip over into something that you might need to go and speak to a professional about? Clinical psychologist Dr. Elif joining us from Thrive Wellbeing Centre and getting your take on what makes your blood boil. If you're thinking about getting into the sport or perhaps encouraging your children to take up tennis, our next guest can help you with that. David Ejusti is with us today. He's the tennis coach at JA Resorts and Hotels. He's the man responsible for the junior and adult program tennis development at the Jabal Ali Academy. Thank you for being with us, sir. This is uh, a lovely studio we're here today. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background. When did you first start playing tennis? So thank you, first of all, to have you here. And um, my background, I mean, I start very early in my age. So, and I, when I approach the sport, I get in love straight away. Were you a child? You were little? Uh, five o'clock. Five, five, five years old, sorry. Five years old. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so then we hear this time and time again in other sports. I'm thinking about Tiger Woods in particular. Yeah. The importance of getting kids in young. And I feel a bit conflicted about that because I'm thinking, I want to encourage my kids to do something, but I don't want to turn them off a sport yeah. earlier on. What, what are your thoughts about a good age to get children into tennis? Tennis usually is around five years old. Depends also about the environment because mm-hmm. uh, now the coaches and the, all the programs for the kids are very good for the kids. So they, they don't go straight in the tennis. We are to- not talking about technique or something like that. Yeah. First of all, they to have fun. So approaching slowly to the sport. And later on, if the passion is growing in there, because always we have to, not, I don't think not only for tennis, for any kind of sport, we have to follow what the, the kids feel. Thank you for saying that, because I think there are, and I think my <laughs> husband would be one of them, a lot of pushy parents out there who's like, you, you could be my retirement plan. You are going to be on that court. You, you know, it's got potential to be the new King Richard. So taking the lead from the child and recognizing that is a genuine enjoyment yeah, in absolutely. being on the court and interacting. So if, if a child was to come to you, and let's say age five, six, for example, okay. what might happen in a typical, you know, first couple of training sessions? Okay, first of all, I mean, um, it's about to be creative because uh, the kids are following. I mean, if you coach a kind of uh, adult, you have to explain to them how to do it. Mm-hmm. The mentality of, by the way, the brain of uh, how to, the learning process of the kids are copy and paste. So mostly you have to show to them monkey how to... Monkey see, monkey do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know better than me, you're your mother, so you can understand. But uh, the most important is that, I mean, the, the biggest role is about the coach. Mm-hmm. If he enjoy to, to do this job, the passion will drive him to customize a perfect lesson for them. You know, it's, uh, there, is nothing, there is no schemes. So yeah. if uh, you're, you, you are doing what you love, everything has come up. So this. Davide, can I ask you, in terms of, you've been working in, in tennis for, for decades and you've worked with some really, really big names. Yeah, um, 
can you spot potential quite early on and, and what is it that you see when someone's got that X factor? Okay, um, when I was working in Italy for the national selection for the kids, uh, we were looking who was more angry on the court. Really? <laughs> yeah, angry in order that if I lost the match. They care. I, this is the guy that he can fight till the last point, you know. So it's about the vibration that you feel in this guy. So if he has a, the, I mean, he transform the match in something very important for them, you know, become the most important uh, moment in their life in this moment. That's so interesting because when I've spoken to, you know, chefs and restaurateurs about what they look for in talent in the kitchen, it's often the attitude they say first. Attitude, correct. It's like, I want to learn, this is important to me, I have the passion. Absolutely. And often you can teach skills. Not all, not, not 100%, but, but that is, that's more moldable, I think, than what you, that fire you've yeah. got inside. Because it's not about the, the skill or the talent that could have uh, this kid. It's about uh, uh, how much, the vibes that you can put in the match. For mm -hmm. example, I had the opportunity to work with Stefano Tsitsipas in his team, wow. with Apostolos, and, and um, if you see Stefanos, uh, he has an unbelievable talent, but for him is uh, the attitude. When the situation becomes very tough, he is playing his best. Mm -hmm. That belong to Stefanos, but belong to all the champions, let's say. So they perform better when the situation becomes very difficult diamonds under pressure from the dubai duty-free tennis stadium this is afternoons with helen farmer on dubai i 103.8 live at the wta 1000 event part of the dubai duty-free tennis championships 20 minutes past two we are talking tennis this afternoon of course and what a beautiful setting we're in joined now across our table is davide justi he is the tennis coach at J resorts and hotels he teaches children and adults alike and Davide, we got a question yesterday on the text line that I wanted to save for you. And it was simply asking, are you ever too old to learn tennis? And I wanted to, I wanted to get your take because my knees say yes, <laughs> but maybe you've, maybe you've got a different experience. Absolutely not, because uh, uh, tennis, as any, any other sport, actually, it's about uh, that you do because you love it or you like it, okay? So, especially in tennis, that is very schematic mm -hmm. sport. Uh, I, I give an example when somebody come in my court for the first time I'm asking them what you want from play tennis beginner I have a player 65 years old 70 years old still playing with me uh, with a good performance actually <laughs> but uh, first of all uh, it's about, again it's about the coach mm -hmm. uh, I have to, it's important to have this kind of uh, uh, good connection with the people and to understand what they really want and you have to drive them to enjoy this game so it doesn't matter which is your age, because you discovered maybe tennis when you are 55, 57 years old, like me, mm -hmm. <laughs> still enjoying. Uh, you can find something that you never did before. You say, wow, so incredible. Well, it's interesting. My husband was listening to a podcast over the weekend, which was a business podcast, but it was talking about how CEOs relax. Okay. And I, I, the name escapes me, but it was, yeah. it was, a, it was a tech billionaire, basically. Yeah. And he was saying, I play tennis. And he said, great, you know, how's it going? He said, actually really good, because... Um, I'm doing really well because I didn't play tennis as a child or a teen <laughs> because I was a nerd okay. and all of his opponents did and their joints yeah. are ruined so he's like I'm having a great kind of second lease of life of, of playing the sport and 
you know, we know that sport keeps us young physically, but also mentally. What about that mental agility? Absolutely. Um, I mean, recently they post a kind of research about a study about uh, that playing tennis keep you uh, younger, longer. Living proof here, Davide. Ah. Living proof. So. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> but uh, I can say that uh, playing tennis um, is uh, so difficult because uh, each ball are different. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a kind of uh, mental connection. It's like a, a meditation. You know, that you have uh, to be present, ready, focus on the moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we don't some, do that very much in day-to-day life. That's, that's d- rare. Yes, co- completely. And also, is, uh, I mean, my style, let's say my creativity on the court is uh, everybody are complaining because I scream on the court every day. You scream? <laughs> Absolutely. Passionate. Somebody are uh, they scared about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important you know, to, to transfer to them this passion and to keep this kind of uh, experience on the court so you have to isolate from your problem let's say that's really interesting so being mindful in the moment but also i feel like it's quite rare for us to learn things as adults you know when when you're younger you're at school there's new subjects there might be sports that you're exposed to we might finish university or studies or get into a job and it's quite unusual to put yourself in a situation where you're learning something from scratch that must be quite intimidating for some people and it sounds like you help people get Uh, over that yeah uh, look it's about the expectation that somebody has Mm. when you ever Everybody can approach sports, uh, job, uh, new life, whatever. It's about the expectation that you have inside, no? So if you have a high expectation, you will never be happy. <laughs> you have to be, for that is important tennis, because you are focused what's happening now. Mm-hmm. That's it. A, f- that. a very important person in my life teaches to me to do that. And she knows. <laughs> so she helped me also to, she helped me also to be also creative because I start to paint as well. So it's a kind of expression of when I approach to paint my paints, let's say, I was not expecting to be a very good painter, but now I'm enjoying a lot. So. Oh, I love this. Um, if anyone wants to come down, is it in terms of signing up for a one-off session with you guys at JA? Is it a program? How do you, how do you yeah. work with people the other day? So we have an adult and kids program. And the Jebel Ali, I have to say, first of all, that they helped me a lot, especially mm-hmm. Uh, William Harley, so he's a he's GM. A great of, guy. He's a great guy. He has me a lot. Also, the team in the now in Jebelali, they are supporting me a lot. Um, they believe in this project, bringing the p- famous player in my in the Jebelali. I have to say, the, uh, when I've ever been at Jay, there always seem to be some sports professionals around. Whether it is yeah. you know football teams having a bit of downtime and a bit Correct. of training, some big names working yeah. with you as well. Why do you think that's important to be showing people some of the some of the best around? Yeah. Um, f- what I learned from this big player, let's say, is to be calm in the dark moment, as I told before, okay? Mm-hmm. So the kids or the also who is um, playing tennis and they see they are playing, they don't look like a star because they don't feel star there. They look like uh, to be at, at home, you know? Mm-hmm. This is the, they, they create a kind of environment and Jebel Ali gives this kind of uh, feeling that you are outside of everything. So true. So you, you become nobody, you become what you are. That's important. I wanted to ask you a question that we were asking listeners yesterday, and this is not, this, people listening today, this is not for your chance to win a ticket yet. <laughs> if you want to be here for the Men's Week next week, that's coming up after three. But we were asking everyone to get in touch, and it's such a personal question, it's such a, you know, because a lot depends on how old you are, who you grew up watching, how engaged in tennis you are now. But when I say GOAT to you for tennis, greatest of all time, who immediately comes to mind that day? Uh, for me, for many reasons, Roger Federer is the best of the world. Do you know what? We had a lot of people saying that yesterday, and many a listener getting in touch saying not only is phenomenal, but a nice guy. Absolutely. I had a, <laughs> I had a chance to, to meet him and to stay with him several times. 
He's a fantastic guy. He's humble. He's joking every time. He tried to talk in Italian as well. Bless him. He was telling something <laughs> straight. I don't want to repeat now. Don't say it. <laughs> you can't say it on the radio. Don't get, don't get me in trouble. So for you, Roger yeah. Federer. And you're hoping to get a bit of tennis uh, spectating in over yeah. the next couple of weeks? Yes, absolutely. David, thank you so much for your my time. Pleasure, my really, pleasure. Really, really appreciate it. Now, here at Dubai Eye, we love introducing you to people who are doing something special, different, inspiring us. And it can be all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different ages. And sometimes it's a doctor, it's a lawyer we've got on the show. We've just been speaking sport. But sometimes it is a young person who's got a really unique perspective. So if this, me saying this, anyone comes to mind, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. 4001, who do you think has got a valuable insight, a story to tell? Joining us now, at just 18 years old, we've got Kanath Mehta, um, a student there at GEMS. Um, and I'm so interested to hear what's been going on because founder of Skill Mill, which allows students a bit of education, but it's by students for students. Kanath, how are you today? Oh, hi, Helen. How are you? I'm good. I, good. I'm really well. I'm really intrigued because when I was 18, I was not... Um, starting any businesses I was barely doing uh, what I was supposed to be doing at school <laughs> never mind exceeding <laughs> expectations tell us a little bit about the school that you go to and, and what year are you in right so hi guys my name is Kanav Mehta and I'm 18 years old so I'm an IB2 student at Gems Zubilington International School and yeah I'm essentially the founder of an organization called uh, Skillnet Tell us a little bit about where the idea came from and, and who you've had in mind as you built this platform. Right, yeah. So essentially, Skillmill is a website in simple, in simple terms that allows um, students to engage in exciting educational content. So just a backstory, I'm, uh, at my school, I'm, an, uh, I'm a computer science academic mentor where I help and guide students in uh, GCSE computer science. Now, uh, the opportunity I identified was that in those group study sessions that I conducted in break and lunch, you know, some people couldn't attend it, you know, because they had like different time schedules, they were mm -hmm. busy with their own work. So I thought to myself that surely we can do something about this. And we, as in the student mentors, could make our content and provide it to students at a larger scale as into all students in our school, our cluster, and UE. So, so that's how... That's, uh, so you're solving a problem, really, and as you say, a lot of students got a lot on their plates and might want to come to something like, you know, and spend time with you as a mentor, but just aren't able to because of calendar clashes. So this is about creating an opportunity to learn from each other outside of the constraints of the time slots that you had available. What are some of the things that you are looking at sharing? It's obviously, you've got a big computer science um, emphasis there. So can you break it down for us, perhaps in terms that I can understand? <laughs> That's okay. Essentially, Skillmill is a digital platform that allows uh, students to engage in courses and expand their expertise on co uh, numerous topics, as you mentioned, at their own pace and comfort. And we, we j just want to, like, you know, make education accessible to all age groups and areas of expertise. Mm -hmm. But uh, the initial plan was to create a Google site and uh, upload videos specifically related to uh, GCSE computer science. Um, so I gathered, like, a team of four to five mentors as well as uh, who were interested in making courses and education accessible to everyone. And my computer science teacher, Ms. Madi, at the time, who is, you know, our guiding light, 
supported us as well by providing the revised syllabus, etc. But you know, for me at the time, I wasn't getting that kick. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. to do something massive because I genuinely saw scope and skill mill to which could you know you know benefit our society. So I decided to make it into a brand and transform it into a user-friendly website. So instead of only GCSE computer science courses, we diversified into other other streams. Like if you check out our website www.skillman.global, we have courses on aerospace, aero society, and we plan on adding more videos. But the core of Skillmill, I feel, is that it follows a built by students for students model, which means that every course on the website right now is developed by students to um, aid the understanding of other students. So it's essentially building that strong sense of student community where if you're passionate about something, you have a platform to share your interests with the rest of the world. And on the other hand, if you're curious about you know exciting things like the metaverse, blockchain, AI, you can check out the content we upload. So it's essentially that two-way solution. Can I ask you, I didn't have to say this, but are us older folks welcome to come on to Skill Mill and, and have a look at some of the courses? Is there, is there, an, is there an age limit yeah. or not? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah, we thought about this, but yeah, we are the, like the courses on the website are available to anyone and everyone. So yeah, definitely you can check out our website. Some courses will be designed for students, but you know, for the older audience, we have our courses that are titled uh, Peek into the Future, where we have videos about blockchain with AI, which I definitely feel that, you know, the industry experts would be interested in. And AI's use case in um, Facebook, et cetera, which is pretty interesting. So I feel that, you know, it, it is accessible to everyone. That's, that's our major goal. And what are, what are your major goals kind of moving forward? Just 18 years old, already started an incredible platform. I'm sure while the big emphasis is on teaching others, you've probably learned a, a right. lot from this process as well. Um, what are your hopes for the future when it comes to studying university career, dare I ask? Have you thought that far ahead yet, kind of? Um, yeah, so I plan on continuing, you know, this entrepreneurial journey by building organizations like Skillmill that, you know, act as a medium through which our society, community and future benefits. But specifically, um, I applied for, you know, a computer science and engineering course. So, yeah, I'm definitely excited for that. And I have definitely, I definitely, sorry. No, I was just going, no, I was just going to say, please don't work too hard because, you know, you're 18. <laughs> Have some fun as well, won't you? It's not just all about the, yeah, about the mean, books at university. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You'll have and, and, can, and then when yeah. you're done, come back to Dubai and uh, keep keep the great talent here, won't you? Um, probably people people asking for the website. Um, I'll be happy to share that with you. It's skillmill.global. Come one, come all. Some great courses on there created by Kanav and his team. Um, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Really do appreciate it. Huge congratulations. An incredible initiative. Great achievement. And really excited to see where this is going to take you in the future. Kanav Mehta speaking to us from Gems Wellington International School. I'm joined now by the Head of Department for Wills and Inheritance at James Berry Law Firm. Romana Dolby is with us to answer my questions and yours about, honestly, a topic that no one really wants to think about, but it is unfortunately one that's very necessary. Romana, thank you for addressing a difficult but important issue, which is what happens when somebody passes away here in the UAE? And I'm going to try and stay as factual, as unemotional as possible between now and half past, but we are on hand to answer any specific questions that um, anyone listening today might have. Now, let's... 
don't really know where to start with this, to be honest, because I can't even imagine what people must go through in the height of grief and then having to deal with a lot of the paperwork and the processes. Um, but let's start with life insurance. Um, how many people <laughs> listening today have it? Probably not enough, but how crucial is it and what do you do with that paperwork um, upon the worst happening? Hi, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, Helen, I really appreciate it. Uh, first of all, I think it's pertinent to start off by stating that when you do pass away it's quite essential to note that each matter should be dealt with individually so okay. it, each in each matter your estate will be different um, assets are different for different people the example of insurance is a good starting point you do need to reach out to your insurance company or your next of kin mm -hmm. that remain do need to reach out so be that the surviving heirs um, if it's for instance a husband that passes away the wife may reach out or if there's no wife that remains um, the surviving children and just start to get that paperwork rolling what about contacting the embassy for example and registering the death is that something that the police get involved in can you unpack that a little bit for us so generally yes so the body is sent to the morgue and upon receiving the body the death certificate is then issued and then presumably once you have that piece of paperwork that enables you to start going further down the line with other aspects of you know <sighs> It's, I, I it's, it's, it's a quite lot. Broad. It's quite broad. So, for instance, if you, it, it's difficult to explain to people who, for instance, lose a loved one that live um, abroad and the loved one passes away in the UAE. Because the, the concept of Sharia law, to explain that to someone who doesn't reside here, mm -hmm. it's, it's quite a difficult process. Mm -hmm. So what I tend to do is, during, during consultation with the surviving heirs or potential surviving heirs, I'll explain to them what the concept of Sharia law um, en encompasses. Mm -hmm. And then with regards to that, then I'll explain what the assets are and how the breakdown of the assets will then determine what processes should be followed. I think for, for many people, it, it's it's such an unpleasant topic to even think about that many of us bury our head in the sand and go, well, that, that's not going to happen to us. And then also we've got the further complication of many people here in the UA being expats and perhaps not having the wills and paperwork in place because we think we might just be here for a year or two years. And for me, it's been 16 years. And for you, it's been since the 90s. So, you know, these things do tend to, um, tend to go on. So I guess committing to where we're living and making sure that we are living you know, lawfully, of course, but, but also making life easier should, should the worst happen is so, so important, especially for those, as you're saying, surviving heirs who will be in the depths of grief. I had a bit of a freak out a few years ago when me and my husband went on holiday and we left our kids with my parents and I was like full blown panic attack of like, what happens if the plane goes down? And my husband in a kind of, you know, yes, dear moment, we created what we called the death draw. Yeah. And, in, <laughs> and in the draw, and we, we've, a few people know where the death draw is, is exactly that where the life insurance policies are where bank account passwords are where the wills are all that all that kind of stuff and i really really was railing against doing this but it has made me feel a lot better about it how prepared do you think people are in general well um i do have a lot of matters actually the majority of matters that i deal with include in instances where what we call someone passes interstate so the difference being interstate is passing without having concluded a valid will and testate is mm -hmm. when you have. Now with interstate, um, a lot of the times what we deal with is guardianship for instance. If, and, and that is to me, specifically having children, is the most important part of a will. Absolutely. In, yeah, in its entirety. 
We did touch on this yesterday in terms of um, the cost, the paperwork um, involved, but I think you're absolutely right, and I think that's a big concern for many parents is what happens if the worst happens to both of us, for example, having that temporary guardianship in place, having that long-term, having that registered. Um, I wanted to ask you about visas, and let's use um, the example of it. Is a father who passes away and um, his wife and his children are on his visa. What happens in that situation? Are you effectively no longer able to live here? So in essence, yes, the visa, the sponsorship comes to an end. But if, for instance, a widow, a widow can apply to have a year-long visa, so an extension thereof, and that also includes minor children. Okay. That's really good to know because I wasn't aware of that. What about, and this was a, a, a big topic for a lot of people a number of years ago, about the importance of having separate bank accounts as husband and wife. In the case that you know one person passes away and that joint account could be frozen, is that still the case and what do you tend to advise? What, we, or what I tend to see is obviously there are the feelings or people speak to people so <laughs> there's a lot of information that gets passed down mm -hmm. and in some instances when you just get your what you hear is you hear that oh well your bank account will get get frozen within three hours of passing away well it, that is not the in, it's not always the way that it goes we've dealt with matters where a bank account has been open for months on end even though the bank has received proof of death okay. and funds have come out of that account and they've asked for further proof so it, it depends on the bank, the policies of that specific bank, and it also depends on that uh, specific um, uh, person who died, who passes away. What is, what's the role of the employer then, Romano, in these situations to assist a family? So, in terms of the law, there is a certain time period that's dedicated towards paying out the end of employment service benefits mm -hmm. and so forth as well. Um, there is a duty on them to provide the breakdown of which uh, that which has to be paid out. And uh, it is their duty to do so. It is not their duty to go any further than that for the time being. Okay. Romana Dolby is with us. He's the head of department for wills and inheritance at James Berry Law Firm. Taking my questions and yours, it is a topic that no one really wants to think about. And I think that can be a huge barrier to people actually taking action. What happens when somebody dies here? Um, we addressed wills and guardianship on the show yesterday, but looking at some of the other paperwork we need to be aware of. And going to the text line now, Romano. Uh, Malal saying, thank you for this. I've always wondered if you can be buried and cremated here as an expat, or does your body have to go back to your home country? Interesting question. I've got absolutely no idea. Can you give us a steer on that? Sure. So in terms of, uh, well, uh, for me, I'm a DIFC Wills draftsman and I come across this request quite often. It's one of the clauses that are co that's contained in any will, be it ADJD, uh, that is the Abu Dhabi Judicial Department mm -hmm. or DIFC. And uh, you can actually be either cremated or buried. You can specify that within the will as well. And and being buried in here as well, you could be buried here as an expat. I think what does have to happen, and I would have to confirm this, is you need to be repatriated as well. So okay. what I would recommend is making provision for such instances as well for repatriation. A lot of people don't take into account the importance of having set aside money for that purpose. Absolutely. And then when push comes to shove or the worst thing happens, um, that money is not available. Well, let's talk money because Lou says, I'm curious what happens to debts and loans after somebody passes. Are they automatically the responsibility of a spouse or family member? Technically speaking, from what I've dealt with, it also depends on the bank and the specific instance. Mm -hmm. So, as mentioned before, with one of the loans that I dealt with, it was still coming off the bank account, even though the person had passed away quite a while ago. And um, that, again, it would depend on the bank itself and the correspondence and the communication between the surviving heirs and the bank. Uh, Ronnie, can I ask you, if your best friend was going to move to the UAE tomorrow, 
What kind of advice would you give them about making sure that they were protected um, in terms of paperwork, um, wills, uh, making sure that their legacy and wishes were respected? There's so much. I think the first thing to consider is to take into account the assets. So what we do generally is we'll send out um, a questionnaire to to find out what sort of assets the client or the testator has. Mm-hmm. And this will also tell us if guardianship is required, uh, the executors that are at play. And then what we do is we'll then arrange to sit down with a client and then give feedback on the questions that have been answered. Um, but it's, it's a very broad question. What I would recommend is, for instance, if you have, let's say, a company. Your company, the, the, the MOA should be aligned with, for instance, your will. If you pass away in the absence of a will, then your shares will be divided in terms of Sharia law. Mm-hmm. So, um, in essence, for instance, your children may get your shares instead of the shareholders. And that may be messy as well when those shares have to be held until the children reach the age of 21. So there's a lot to take into account in professional sense as well as personal sense. Mm-hmm. A great question here um, regarding assets. Hasim saying, I've got a mortgage with a life insurance policy attached to it by the bank. In the case of death, does the mortgage get paid by the policy and the property becomes debt free and get, or get transferred to the kids? So when we're talking about assets, you know, property being probably the biggest one around, what do people need to know if they do own property here in the UAE? If they do own property, if they pass away without a will, then Sharia law will still apply. It doesn't matter if you're an expat, if you're Muslim, Muslim or non-Muslim. Okay. The only difference is that has to be mentioned, and um, I, I have to mention this because it's a massive change in terms of the law itself, is a new statute came into effect as of the 1st of February. That is the um, Federal Decree Law Number 41 of 2022 on civil personal status. Okay. Now, what that determines is it determines that there's a separation between Muslim and non-Muslims. For non-Muslims now, in terms of us for within the scope of the the Muslim uh, population, it now separates Sharia law and it says that it it takes into account more um, common law procedures. So it'll say, for instance, that if you pass away and you leave a spouse, your spouse will inherit 50%. In the absence of a spouse, your children and so forth. It has to be, we we do have uh, an article out on the website as well if you want to read up on that as well. It sets out the different parts there's a lot to unpack here. I feel like we've only just scratched the surface. And this, I mean, this is your job day in, day out. So thank you for really helping us get a, get a grip on what we need to understand. And as you say, an idea of what we need to certainly get in place for further reading, as you said, and go to the James Berry website. Thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for having me. I feel like I've had some reassurances, but also a bit of panic. Yeah, I, I, think, <laughs> I think at the end of the day, we're all a little bit panicked. Uh, even, I mean, I'm a, I do this for a living and I still panic about it. So I don't, okay, don't well, think well, we all... Okay, well, that's a good final question <laughs> to you, Ramona. How, what, what have you got in place that we could perhaps could be taking a leaf out of your book on? Uh, yes, I do have a will in place. So that's, uh, again, if, you, if anyone does want to reach out, please feel free. I think Helen could also. Absolutely. If you just send me the word law, I will send you the details um, because we've got um, a great expert with us today. But if you haven't had the chance to have your question answered, we have run out of time or indeed you want to speak to them about your own specific situation. Send me the word law. I will send you Romano's details and you can connect separately and privately. We are talking about anger this afternoon and do we live in an age of rage what makes you fly off the handle and when are these emotions tipping into something that might need addressing before it's too late to help us guide ourselves through this tricky topic of anger is dr elaf salebi dha licensed clinical psychologist at thrive well-being center let me know what makes your blood boil and that red mist descend on 4001 dr elaf how are you 
I'm okay. How are you? I'm very calm, actually. <laughs> all, all is good in my world. Um, but it's been interesting to get people's thoughts on what makes them angry. So before we get into the text line, we've had a, a few concerned messages as well, Doctor. I wondered if you could spl- explain a little bit about the emotion of anger. Can you unpack it a little bit for us? Such an important uh, emotion and issue. So thank you for having me today. Uh, Welcome. As other emotions, anger as well uh, is there to solve an evolutionary problem, evolutionary problems and help our survival. So we do need the anger. Anger is there for a reason uh, to help our survival. Um, Mm -hmm. What is the, when is it prompted? Anger is prompted and justified when usually we are being blocked from reaching our goals, important goals. We are trying okay. to reach a goal, it is important to us, we want it, and we are being blocked. It could arise when we are in physical pain, it could mm-hmm. arise when we are threatened to lose our uh, respect, uh, status, mm-hmm. power, our group is being threatened as well. So these are some situations, prompting e- events, when uh, the anger will be the result as an emotion. It's interesting that some people find certain things very triggering and it can make them very angry, whereas the same situation would have absolutely no effect on somebody else. Um, so it's interesting that you're there thinking about some of the reasons why we get angry. For example, my, my husband really hates it when the kids don't listen because it makes him feel very disrespected and unheard. And that makes that, you know, he escalates things quite quickly in those situations, whereas it's not so triggering to use a very kind of 2023 phrase Um, and lots of people getting in touch with things that make them angry joe saying queue jumping while shopping makes me angry especially when there's a ticketing system Um, and salvador talking about well really kind of being disrespected on the roads drivers who are impatient don't give way suddenly cutting blocking the car in front and he also says body odor which i i I agree with as well but i wanted to ask you then um dr a little bit about um do you feel like anger is sometimes misunderstood, you know, as an emotion? Uh, not Maybe not the emotion itself, but how mm. it is displayed, expressions yes. of anger, manifestations, expressions of anger, if it gets out of control. And that's what people usually complain of the anger. In other times, like it may be there, but it doesn't reach a point where it has some kind of negative outcome for you. So we can say most of the time, uh, anger is justified if you feel it. Like there is a reason people aren't really making it up, you know, but it's not effective. So if you get in trouble for the displays of anger, manifestations of anger, then, you know, we can think about some ways of how do we down uh, regulate it. You know, it's an excessive, it can be an excess emotion. And we can need to consider other options. Is there some irritability going on, depression going on? Sometimes this could be a way uh, to avoid sadness. Mm-hmm. You know, the secondary emotion of anger could be there. Because well, that's interesting. We, Sorry to interrupt. We've just, we had a text along exactly that line. Samir saying, a psychologist once told me that anger is a masking emotion for other emotions, often hurt or fear. What does your expert think? A masking emotion, or you can call it secondary emotion. Not mm-hmm. always, though. Anger is there, can be there just as an anger itself. As I said, like if you are being blocked, 
it's rush hour, 6 p.m. Everyone is just like rushing to go home and then you're being cut off. Anger is justified there. But uh, another way that anger uh, uh, distracts us is there could be some kind of sadness that there that we are afraid if I confront this sadness, there's overwhelming amount of sadness. Then oh, it's interesting. So if you start to pull on that thread, it all might unravel. So it's it's right. safer to be angry rather than sad. Right. We're in conversation with Dr. Elif Salebi, a DHA clinical psychologist at Thrive Wellbeing Centre. And we're talking anger, anger management. And it's safe to say that sport is somewhere where this can definitely play out. We did, of course, have John McEnroe becoming the most famous angry man on the planet after actions on the court. Recently, footballers are under scrutiny. Here he is in action. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. Big feelings, big feelings. So, Dr. Elaf, you know, when it comes to sport, can this be a bit of a safe space for people to have some really powerful emotions? This is a myth. This is kind of a myth where if you let it out, scream, shout, throw things, this will reduce, downregulate your anger. Research mm. shows the opposite. So, there's no cathartic it. effect. Exactly. There is no cathartic effect to anger. Think of it as the neurons in your brain firing. The more you uh, express it with behaviors, urges, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the stronger you will feel it. So there's no cathartic effect to anger, but it will escalate it. I guess then we've had a number of people asking for some coping strategies. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask you about suppressing anger um, and what that can look like. But what it can also lead to, and this is the complete denial of the emotion and not acknowledging it rather than having some some coping mechanisms in place. What happens if you do suppress anger repeatedly for a prolonged period of time, like your entire life, for example? Sure, sure. Well, I think we need to make a distinction between using sports as to help with anger because it will any kind of exercise will have positive effects overall in the long run. So that's Definitely, for sure, that's a really good idea to keep doing it. But if you are uh, talking about expressing anger during sports by, like, lashing out to someone, it may not have the benefits that we're talking about. So if we, if, uh, we think about some ways to suppress anger all our lives, can you redirect the question? Yeah, so basically, if someone experiences anger they have that emotion but they don't perhaps acknowledge it or express it in a way that helps them deal with it I mean, the, the kind of the old trope is well you know if you if you don't express your emotions it's going to come back in terms of your health you know later mm-hmm. later down the line is that true it depends on how we express the emotions with anger expression of anger if um, let's talk about maybe being hijacked by anger Right? Mm. You completely get like fly off the handle, you lose rage, like traffic rage could be a good example to this. So I wouldn't say that's a healthy way of coping because of the, these behaviors. First of all, there's something called anger rumination. Anger rumination is playing, replaying the original prompting event that made you in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anger rumination with the stickiness of it is mm-hmm. going to intensify and it's like lashing out 
impulsive anger behaviors, throwing things, shouting, screaming. Okay, I don't do that. that. I don't do that. I think for me, what, what I tend to ruminate on is if something's made me angry and I haven't dealt with it in the way that I wish I had. You know, if I haven't confronted somebody or if I haven't, I don't know, for example, left a note on the car next to me that's, you know, been an idiot. You know, and then I'm like, I wish I'd done that. I should have done that. What, you know, and I get angry at myself for not perhaps acting in a way that I think I should have done. That's my kind of rumination. I'm so, just, for, for, just to be clear, I'm certainly not throwing things. Um, I wanted to ask you then, do you think some people are naturally more angry? And I think we've all met people like that. And like, wow, like, he's just a really angry guy. Or she seemed to really, you know, overreact to everything in an angry fashion. Are some people simply wired that way? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know as a personality difference, individual difference. There are individual individual differences, but anger is not a personality dimension. Mm. But we can talk about something called neuroticism, which is the tendency to experience more negative emotions in general. So anger could be one of them. So mm-hmm. this is this is a personality dimension. Some people nervous system wise biologically they are born that way that unfortunately they have a tendency to to experience negative emotions more frequently more intensely so if anger is one of them then it could be diffused like some people may have irritability i mean some people may have more uh, extreme levels of anger rage um yeah it is one of those negative emotions that they may experience in their daily lives and um, I think it bothers the people most because the people I talk to they come to talk to me about the anger problem because the outcome there's, there could be some regret shame problems in interpersonal relationships at work that's interesting so they, they don't they're not taking pleasure from being angry it's something that's almost beyond their control <laughs> Are we living in an age of rage? We're talking anger management this afternoon and an awful lot of you getting in touch with the things that make you angry. We've had it all from bad parking to body odour. Joining us live on the line is Dr. Ilaf Salevi, DHA licensed clinical psychologist at Thrive Wellbeing Centre. Um, I want to go to the text line because I think a lot of people have a bit of concerns and indeed confusion. Um, let's talk strategy. We'll be saying every time I drive, ruthless drivers really get to me. Sometimes I feel like I get a heart attack. Is there any good way to calm myself down in this situation as it happens on a daily basis? And it's these kind of things that can really stress out your overall life. And I've had this myself, you know, being in a great mood and you get on the road and there's just this mood of anger and ego and it can set the tone for your whole day. If we're talking about road rage in particular, uh, doctor, what are some strategies that can be really useful? Uh, We can first talk about some kind of psychological vulnerabilities and how to prevent these vulnerabilities. So when I say vulnerabilities, you mentioned hungry, being hungry and angry at the same time. So we need to start from (laughs) hunger. Yes, we need to start with bodily needs like sleep deprivation, if you are sleep deprived, if you're over caffeinated, if you're hungry, if you have that part of the time of the month, period, period, you're having your period, hormonal changes, uh, not taking the regular medications as you need to mm-hmm. take them, lack of exercise, eating too much, eating less. All That's everything factors. then. <laughs> yeah. oh, yes, uh, we, we, we need to consider these to pre- prevent it first. 
like how that's can right, I that's interesting because this reminds you of when, when when a baby's crying and you go through this little checklist of going yeah. are they hungry yeah. are they wet <laughs> are they tired and I think you know what you're absolutely right I feel the most angry or emotionally vulnerable when I am yes sometimes hungry but honestly mostly tired and when you're not taking care of those basic needs the smallest thing can just completely tip you over into overreaction when on another day it would just be you know water off a duck's back so in a road rage situation let's say you are you are fed and watered you've been to the toilet you have you've had a nice amount of sleep what are some um coping strategies is it is it breathing is it screaming into the abyss is it singing along to something what what can be useful mm-hmm. um here i would like to if we've taken care of all these factors maybe prepare emotionally right i know what are my uh prompting factors the triggers mm-hmm. for my anger is it the maybe i have a trip for 30 minutes and the last 5 10 minutes i am most vulnerable because i am rushing there is juncture i know uh, people will get on my nerves there am i hurrying and do i so kind of like uh, scanning ourselves on trying to understand what are my um, vulnerable thoughts beliefs assumptions like maybe you maybe we have a thought am i being deprived of my free time rest time like you try mm-hmm. they are causing this traffic so I need to hurry to get my rest time. I've already, I deserve it. I've already been tired. Mm-hmm. Some of these beliefs could be counterproductive. They can even create more anger instead of like helping us. This mm-hmm. kind of maybe attachment to this idea. I need to be there like uh, as soon as possible. If I lose impatience, like if I lose 15 minutes here, that means my night is ruined. Mm-hmm. So we need to listen to some of these thoughts and beliefs and catch ourselves in the act of really like it, clinging on to them. And I would recommend you mention breathing, relaxation, meditation, of course, eyes closed whilst driving. There is this uh, specific technique that I like. It's very easy. It's called willing hands. So we carry a lot of um, tension in our hands because anger is like clenched fists. You can visualize anger as your fist clenched. So starting out by taking a deep breath from the nose, breathing out from the mouth, lowering the shoulders, relaxing I'm doing the it right muscles. now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And clenching the hands as much as possible on the driving wheel. If you're not driving, this is a little easier. You can put your hands on your lap, just like relax them. If you're standing on your side and focus, continue to focus the attention on the hand, the sensation that you get from the hand. So this technique is called willing hand. Willing means because we're kind of define ourselves in a situation, it's hard to accept. But can I accept it? Can mm-hmm. I tolerate it? Even if I don't approve of it. So willing hand symbolize that kind of bodily posture or attitude that we want our mind also uh, take on as well thank you for that um we've had i've had a lot of messages on this i'm going to try and get through just a couple before i let you get back to clinic 
um, Inji just sharing a, a comment saying when I had depression I was angry at everything found the smallest thing would set me off I'd be upset for getting angry and I was going around in this cycle and we've had a message about parenting which I think is a, a source of a lot of frustration impatience anger for a lot of people whether we like to admit that or not um, no name here saying I've always been an emotional person but I've been losing my temper more and more recently it's purely verbal never physical and it is out of stress and frustration. My husband travels a lot for work and I've got three kids who are a big trigger for me. It's the cheek attitude and disrespect. It's been going on for so long, I don't feel like they listen to me unless I'm shouting. What's the best place to seek support? Is it parenting lessons I need or is it anger management? I feel like more the latter as it's a complete rage that comes over me. And once I calm down, the guilt is unreal. Thank you for voicing that. I think it's, as I said, something a lot of parents go through because these the kids don't come with a manual we, we're often working in a job we feel like we're good at and then we go home we're completely clueless with you know these these kids that we love but seem to know exactly how to push our buttons what, any advice for any parents out there who are feeling overwhelmed by some of the feelings they're having towards their kids mm-hmm. um i mean as i said anger is there for a reason and it sometimes it could be effective if it's effective in silencing the kids, you know, having them obey, then it may be a little more difficult to change it for you, even if you want to change it, because automatically it worked before. So it's going to take more kind of like effort and seeing anger as part of the whole picture, right? Is it lack of self-care? Is it lack of structure in the kids' time? Is it lack of uh, support? from the other partner or maybe like help around the house. So it could be just a symptom, but we need to intervene with the core issue. What is the core problem? Is there an unmet need? Of like there is an unmet need there. Why does it escalate now? Like are there other stressors around? How do I create time for self-care? So if, if you maybe take a step back, take a holistic picture of the whole situation could be helpful thank you so much for your time today i think normalizing anger and how we talk about it is really important you know we think about being negative emotions and and positive emotions and that's really not the case they're all so so crucial it's just when they get too much that we might need a little bit of help Uh, that was joining us live on the line dr lesley speaking to us from thrive wellbeing center And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.